Welcome to the Geek Centric Podcast, and welcome to our watch club for Star Wars The Bad Batch Season 3. There is nothing of greater importance to secure the future of this empire. Welcome to Watch Club. My name is CTO831, but you can call me Hugs. And this is our Watch Club for Star Wars The Bad Batch, Season 3, Episodes 1 to 3. If you're joining us for the first time, well, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general. So if you haven't watched these episodes yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Now, before we rescue an inconvenient but lovable new pet, let me introduce you to our experimental crew of ragtag troopers. I'm so excited to get to say this again. First up, he's taller than a Jawa, smaller than Jabba, and as entertaining as Jar Jar, he's CT1231, also known as Edit. Yo, yo, what's going on? Not much, man. I'm excited. I'm stoked to get into this uh, this new season, this final yeah. season. Um, but listen, we we can't just it can't just be you and me. You know what I mean? I think we could have a good side mission episode together, but we're gonna need more of our crew. So right alongside you, we are so glad to have a true friend and war hero joining us. And her name is CTO One Eighteen, but you can call her Brushstroke. A.K.A. Omegan. Omegan. <laughs> if you've ever heard any of our, like our spoiler free, for instance, for this series, you did a wonderful uh, Omega impression. Uh, and we also. I'd have to say Justin also did a great crosshair. I just <laughs> wanted everyone to know that. <laughs> I think, Thank well, you. I not just because of his height, I think he would be the crosshair of, of our group. group if, yeah, if we were. You know what I mean? Maybe. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I think you you also did a great job at fighting the urge uh, to do an Omega impression during our interview uh, with Michelle Ang. Uh, I had to have so much self control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, just like the Bad Batch, we are without one of our brothers today. Uh, but don't worry, he didn't fall to his doom in a sacrificial moment of heroism. No, instead, uh, CT1006, our friend Joints, uh, will be joining us in future episodes of this Watch Club once we get to uh, episode 8. Uh, so that'll be a, a lot of fun to get him back on the program. I can't wait to hear uh, his first ahoy hoy. Uh, but friends, family, uh, it's so good to be back here uh, for, for this show. Uh, for both of you, you know, we've, we have released our, our spoiler-free thoughts already on uh, eight of these episodes. But for both of you, you know, again, continuing to be spoiler-free for anything past episode uh, three, how are you both feeling about the season so far? Oh, my God, it's incredible. It's exactly what I wanted from the kickoff to this season. Uh, I miss tech. I hope something happens with yeah. tech here and we get an explanation at least mm. um but in these three episodes the blossoming relationship between crosshair and omega is my favorite part and i'm so excited to see where that goes as well so good mm -hmm. i think these first three episodes kind of set a standard of 
what to anticipate for the rest of the season. Uh, confidence, uh, structure, uh, intention. I think it's all there in these first three episodes. And, you know, when we talked about it in the spoiler free, we mentioned those things in relation to the, the eight episodes that we watched. But I do think that these first three episodes, even the fact that they released them all together, um, it flows really, really well. And, and it's such a great way to kind of kick things off for, for this final season. Yeah, I think these these first three episodes, uh, to me, I mean, and again, this might be recency bias, but I do think this is kind of the my favorite of the sort of the premieres uh, for this show. And, you know, of course, season one was the introduction. So, you know, take it at what you will. Season two was the return. But I feel like this, you know, and, and like we said in our spoiler free, there's such a trajectory uh, that they're going on that they were able to kind of keep these so so tight together. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm 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 loving it so far. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully we get a perfect rounding of the entire three seasons. I think it was a really great idea for them. Now, just hearing you explain the first episodes of each season that way, the beginning was telling us the story of the Bad Batch. The middle was the return of the Bad Batch and what they were going to do without a member. And this one is bringing them back together, understanding where they came from and what they want to do and what their journey means, which I think is cool. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, but this Watch Club will be a little different than our usual episodes, given that, uh, again, you know, we, we, as we mentioned, we've seen eight of them. So we'd figure that it would only be right to wait to join everyone else in the sort of the week-to-week fun uh, you know, after that episode comes out. So we've got uh, another episode of this that's going to be an episode four to seven that'll drop when episode seven drops. Uh, and then we'll be moving to our traditional weekly watch clubs uh, with episode eight. Um, so yeah, let's, let's kind of get into this. We're going to kind of do a, like a brief synopsis, and then we're going to just talk about our favorite moments from each episode from, from one to three. Uh, again, we will be very conscious to be spoiler free for anything, uh, past, uh, you know, episode, uh, three. And if there is any sort of theorizing being done, you know, forewarning, none of it is going to be influenced by what we've seen beyond episode three. So if there's something that we're, you know, we're kind of thinking of, it's, you know, the answer hasn't been given to us at least by that uh, that eighth episode so before we're imprisoned in a lab helping our half clone sister with experiments uh, against our will uh, let's get to this first episode titled confined directed by Saul Ruiz um, so we started with a recap of season two that included tech falling and I promise it didn't make me cry uh, but Megan I remember uh, I paused it right after and I said to you you know watching that recap that it was like I have no idea how, you know, if you were to take this recap and show it to someone, obviously you wouldn't show it to someone who hasn't seen the show, but if yeah. you were to show it to someone who might n- not necessarily be as into Star Wars animation, I just have no idea how someone would look at it and think of it as like, oh, it's just a kid show because the recap alone it was intense. Oh, yeah, 100%. It showed off ep- moments in season two that were so much more than animation. Yeah. You know, like really showing off that animation is a medium and it's a way to portray incredible stories that don't have to be aimed at children. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that it was just like that. One of those quick realizations where I was just like, oh my gosh, this is. This is so good. Uh, This final season starts off with a look at Omega and Crosshair confined in Hemlock's lab facility uh, on Tantus, going through the motions of everyday imprisonment. Uh, 
Uh, we discover that Hemlock and Emery are in search of a very specific blood sample and that Nalise is protecting Omega by destroying her blood sample every single time it's taken. We, uh, we see Omega continue to hold out hope over an extended amount of time as she grows a little older uh, and takes on yet another new hairstyle. Uh, we watch as she continually tries to convince Crosshair that they will escape. Uh, and we also see her make a new doggo friend in Batcher uh, uh, that she eventually frees uh, and, but is immediately punished for her actions. Uh, I think immediately for me, um, what really sort of stood out, you know, again, we kind of talked about this in terms of visuals, uh, but that opening uh, starting in the rain, the, the thunderstorm, it just, it hits so impressively. And it's funny because like they've done this before, like in, in, I think, it, I think it was season two or kind of when we were sort of being introduced to Tantus around that time where I was just like, oh my gosh, look how phenomenal the dynamic lighting in this forest looks. Uh, and so I just think this, this, this team of, uh, of animators is so incredibly talented. Uh, and I like how it kind of plays out sort of like a, like a monster movie. And it sort of shows you immediately the tone that we're setting for this episode. But what I think is the best aspect about this first section is that we are kind of getting to see that, you know, they sort of cut away from the attack on those soldiers. And we see that the real monster is Hemlock and how he just tells those guys just like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like just uh, don't worry about it. Like give yeah, up on them. No, they're not worth it. And so it's just like it's cool, sort of that juxtaposition of the, you know, there's actual creatures attacking them, but the, the true monster uh, is is the one making that call that it's, ends up securing their fate. Yeah, it's the Frankenstein thing. He's making all of these monsters, and even though they're the monsters, you know, he's the real monster, right? But I did think it was interesting to open up with a crashed ship. You know, it, it obviously comes into play in the third episode but i wondered if we were going to find out a little bit more about what exactly happened to that ship or what its purpose was or or anything uh other than just being sort of victim to this monster or creature that that lurks in sector four apparently um so <laughs> yeah it, it was it was an interesting way to kind of kick things off yeah and i think that's why it's so great that disney plus released all three episodes at one time mm -hmm. because they did follow this sort of like arc to have that play through. You get hints of things in this first episode that feel unfinished, but then by the end of the third episode, it's, it's all sort of been yeah. resolved, right? Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. it's kind of fun to be introduced to this crazy planet of Tantus that we've seen before, but we've really only seen Hemlock and his labs and stuff. We haven't seen the terrain. Um, so it, it gives another dark level to this show that whatever lies behind the trees and in that forest, Hemlock's like, Matt, they're dead now. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Megan, was there a moment that you wanted to kind of chime in and, and highlight that maybe stood out for you in this episode? Well, I did. One of the things I wrote down when we very first watched this episode, because I've now seen it quite a few times. Um, I'm so intrigued by Emery. There's something about 
knowing a clone who has no attachment to other clones mm. that I'm very intrigued by because that's the whole MO of the clones is like we're brothers. We stick together no matter what we, I mean, aside from following orders, we are brothers and we'll do anything to protect clones. That's why you never see a clone actually shoot to kill another clone. It's always a stun blast. So it's very interesting to see Emery like be strictly science and she gives a very quick description as to why she wasn't on Camino with Omega. And I just kind of want to know a little bit more about her history. I don't think we'll get that. But mm. if she continues as a character in the Star Wars universe, I want to I want to know a little bit about her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think, you know, it's interesting because um, these these three episodes kind of really highlight not just Omega, but also, you know, Hunter and Wrecker uh, and their ability to sort of win people over and to kind of uh, bring them to their side. And I think we definitely do see that with with Emery throughout these three episodes. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, you mentioned, yeah, she's a clone that doesn't have any connections, but she's going to I think she's going to be connected. I think there's going to be well, something that maybe pushes her over the line. To an extent, I still feel like she's dedicated enough to science that she doesn't I know, feel I think, totally attached. I think we're seeing glimpses, though, of compassion and empathy, especially yeah. in this episode when she gives back her little... Straw Lula. Yeah, a straw Lula that she was <laughs> yeah. making as, as a form of compassion, as a form of empathy. So I think in a lot of ways we're seeing glimpses of that. And you, you would see it, I believe, in episode three as well, where she's like, are you OK? Are you feeling OK? To the point of what you're saying, like, I think we're slowly unraveling her. And maybe it's going to come to a, a point of push and pull where she's going to make a decision that's going to be for the better. Uh, and it might be at her sacrifice, in all honesty. I think that she's probably going to not live to see the end of this season. Ooh, interesting. Oh, my God. We got a death <laughs> prediction. Like well, We're only like 17 right. minutes in. Um, I, uh, I also, yeah, like uh, Lula, the Hey Lula is just incredibly adorable. But I also want to highlight her little lunchbox that Omega carries around everywhere. And it's just like this like really cute little thing of like, like, you know, she sure she had like little jobs that she did on Camino as well. But like, this is like her day job that she's doing. She get her lunchbox ready and she punches in and she punches out. Uh, and then she scratches little lines on the wall. And Megan, you had mentioned that uh, that was something that came from her brothers as well, right? Yeah. Like, Yeah, Record did that in season one when they still lived on Camino. So I thought that was a fun little kind of call back to her brothers and being similar to, you know, being a clone. Yeah. To see time pass through this episode was really was handled mm -hmm. well, like the, super the well done. Yeah, the it was the scratches on the wall to to mark the days. I was trying to stop and count and see how long she's been there, but I, I'm guessing it's been over a few months. Yeah, it's been yeah. Over I think it said. I think from what I counted, like it was it was roughly 150 rotations, like 150 days, roughly okay. from okay. like when we see her. Uh, at the beginning, with the scratches on the wall, to yeah, the that, moment that was where like we see her five. with the ponytail. So, I, so yeah. in the first instance, there was about five sets of those scratches on there. So that I would imagine she's already been there for close to a month, and mm -hmm. then after that, it grew significantly. Her hair's grown out, but you know, Just she's a little the, bit taller. The, exactly, and the monotony of 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 her tasks, you know, like the sort of. A Groundhog Day syndrome that it, that you go through the cycle, yeah. you know, it just the water dripping, around. the right? water dripping. Well, yeah, the, but to her, the, the way blood. she's moving through the facility, the way she's yeah. moving through the facility, the, the tasks that she goes, her where she has to stop, the way she cross paths with 
crosshair every so often, yeah. right? That was um, going to be the moment I brought up was that in the first episode, she passes crosshair and it's like, oh my God, or the very beginning, I should say, and she's like worried about him. And then as the episode goes on, she doesn't even acknowledge that he's mm-hmm. walking but by. The one thing that's great to see, though, is through all this time that's passed, her optimism is still top. Like, she's so optimistic. She's, you know, for a lot of people, they would have lost hope. Look at Crosshair. In contrast Mm -hmm. to the way Omega is, she had, like, she's still optimistic about them getting out. And, you know, he's just like, you know, I'm done. You know, I'm I'm out. (laughs) Right? So. I also want to bring up, just because you brought up that aspect of Crosshair's character in this episode. um, You know, we are introduced to Batcha. Um, who is so funny. Nate, please tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's a little embarrassing. But like it took me forever to sort of figure out while we were watching these screeners. I'm like, I literally turned to Megan. I don't I don't know what episode we were on, but I was like, Batcher. Oh, because the bad batch. And I was, I was like, I don't know why it didn't click for me right away that that's why she named her Batcher. But um, Batcher voiced by uh, D. Bradley Baker, which is Amazing. awesome. Uh, so cool. But one of the things that I love about uh, some of the, the mirroring, especially in episode one, uh, is the element, or I guess throughout these three episodes, but is the element of how Batcher is very much crosshair, uh, right? So so at the beginning of Omega and Batcher's relationship, Batcher's biting at her and, and you know, not really wanting her to help help her. Uh, and Crosshair is very much in the same way. He's saying things that he really doesn't mean. Uh, and I, I just love how we sort of get Omega winning them both over uh, by the end. And I, I love that sort of parallel between those two. Uh, again, very unlikely sort of characters to sort of parallel. But, um, but no, I, I thought that was really, really well done from a writing standpoint. Um, and then from a cinematography standpoint with that sequence of her for the, I think the first time that she sees um, crosshair. And I, I did mention this in a spoiler-free capacity in our spoiler-free review, but I do want to just kind of talk about it a little bit here when uh, Crosshair says, you trust too easily, and Omega responds with, maybe you don't trust enough. And as soon as she says that, we get that close-up on Crosshair's hand uh, shaking. And it's such a, a mature sort of uh, way to to show an aspect of how he's struggling uh, and it's such a fantastic way through you know showing us rather than than straight up just telling us and it lets us sort of draw our own conclusions uh, as to sort of where he's at and I love that I love when movies or shows can sort of just show you a shot uh, and it can be super quiet and they linger on it and they stay on it. And we get that beautiful score from from Kevin, Sean and Deanna Kiner. Um, one of them, I'm not sure, maybe all three of them did that score. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I just love that moment. I think it might be my favorite moment of these three episodes so far. And that's the maturity in this show that's showing moments and not uh, over explaining them or having... Um, exposition within an episode there's not description of oh crosshairs crosshair your hand is hurting no it's just showing that his hand is shaky and And she recognizes it too yeah Yeah, Yeah. show her watching him and getting concerned and then you know continuing to try to give him hope and optimism and feeling compassion towards that and that's one of my favorite qualities of omega is her compassion for others Mm -hmm. she doesn't Aside from like actual evil black and white people, mm-hmm. she she doesn't have any ill will towards 
anyone. Yeah. Like she, she does trust too easily. She trusts everyone <laughs> unless they give her a flat out reason not to. So. All right, Batches. Was there anything else that you wanted to call out from this episode one before we move on to episode two? Any even little details, little tiny things or big things, anything else that you guys wanted to mention? Yeah, actually, in episode one, Hemlock brings Nalase to what he calls the vault. And this is this is going to be our major story plot point that goes through the entire series. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just very excited to find out what's in that vault. I know within these three episodes, we do kind of understand what it is. We don't know exactly what. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get yeah. to that. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> it's kind of the thing that I might want to maybe end this Watch Club on is... is digging into the vault, the vault and, and, and some words around it. But I do want to just mention, uh, now let's say, because you did, uh, you commented when we were watching, you were just like, she sounds so sad and depressed. And like, she's she's normally, Camino and sound like kind the of same. <laughs> the same and very drony and very, but uh, but no, she's talking slower than ever. And I think that might be, um, that's just such a cool sort of element that they've they've given us because again, we don't normally see emotion uh, from these characters and we're getting fear and we're getting uh, depression and, and sort of just sadness uh, from her and it's uh, fantastic. Uh, l- let's get into episode two, Paths Unknown, directed by Nate Villanueva. Uh, love Nate. Um, our second episode follows our Bad Batch as they finish up a mercenary mission involving the Deveronian uh, uh, and Pike syndicates uh, with Hunter and Wrecker bringing in a captured Pike enemy uh, in return for some intel on Hemlock's location. However, they receive coordinates to a long-retired laboratory on a planet overrun by forestation. They also happen upon three young teenage clones, Deke, Stack, and Mox. Uh, and while Stack and Mox are considering stealing uh, their ship, uh, ultimately, they, uh, they remember that a good soldier never leaves anyone behind. Uh, and in the end, they save Hunter, Wrecker, and Deke from the Slithervine, it's kind of like a Sarlacc monster. Uh, and in return, Hunter and Wrecker deliver them safe passage uh, to Pabu. Um, I love how this episode starts off as if we just wrapped up a two-episode arc <laughs> with that we never saw. Um, but, you know, the Bad Batch, they just sort of fit right in. And I think it's such a great, it was such a great way to sort of <coughs> subvert your expectations of not seeing them right away. Um, because, we get, again, you kind of just imagine the first frame of, the se- of this episode is going to be our Bad Batch buddies. But um, I think it was just one of those, like, oh, of course they'd be the ones behind you know, capturing these these guys for for the uh, this crime syndicate, uh, and so I thought that was great. And uh, I also think uh, Issa Durand, voiced by Angelica Houston, by the way. Um, oh wow, that's crazy! <laughs> pretty awesome. Uh, giving a really Baldur's Gate three vibes or Baldur's Gate vibes, I guess. Like the devil, you know, the Deveronian devil horns that she sort of had. Like she mm-hmm. looked awesome. Kudos to Angela yeah. Angelica Houston for for killing it. Yeah, I thought this was great to just kind of kick kick off the the intro of of Hunter and Wrecker as they're doing their thing. They're, you know, tr- chasing down leads and following up on bounties that will hopefully lead them to more answers and you know, that's that was what the whole point was was they were there to trade up a pike and I guess give back that that um that dude cut off horn. horn. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. because yeah. that was that was a value nice to like reference. personal value. And mm-hmm. I think it it was, and then for that was an exchange of information. It wasn't about 
money. It was just about they want to find Omega. So this is what they've been up to. This is what they've been doing. They've been going around the galaxy, doing things like this to get as much information as they can uh, that will hopefully lead them and point them in the right direction. So I like that that's sort of how we're introduced to them uh, or reintroduced to them in this in this episode is, you know, they're just they're doing their thing. The thing that they're we doing know what they that have they're to doing. exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it's, like I was saying before, it's crazy to see them so fractured at the beginning of this season. Mm-hmm. They, The group of the Bad Batch was originally five, no, I guess four, plus Echo, and then Omega was introduced. And now they're just two, and it's so crazy to see them walk in and this is the introduction of the Bad Batch this season. So right. it's like, really, we're starting off on such heavy notes of where the batches are at and what they have to do to get back together. And that requires them putting their their toe in probably the most dangerous situations they possibly could just so they can get back together. Yeah. Yeah. I think this uh, this episode was, was a lot of fun. I want to highlight the... Um, the, the baby bobas as I as I call them, yeah. um, and you know we I, it's it's just great that we've got a bunch of sort of uh, Daniel Logan uh, you know characters running around. Uh, not all of them Daniel Logan though, right? So like Daniel Logan uh, voices Mox, who's the leader, um, who I thought was going to be the one that sort of sticks with them because. You know, you'd think like, oh, Daniel Logan is going to be sort of the main guy, but uh, he's actually one of the, the ones that tries to betray them. But Julian Dennison. So if you don't know, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People or Deadpool 2, uh, really fantastic New Zealand actor, uh, is the voice behind the other two clones, young clones, Deke and Stack. So um, that was fantastic seeing them. And I think having all of them ultimately defeating a giant Sarlacc pit was probably the perfect sort of amount of subtle call back that makes my star wars geek so you know heart so happy yeah but i also it brings back this idea of loyalty and family um Mm -hmm. and i think that that was what was really key from this is that as you pointed out meg the clone the the batches are are sort of fractured and so too are these kids and the this situation has forced them to kind of come together and recognize their opportunities and i think that that's that's what was really great about this episode is that they can still have an impact even though they are just two uh and they can set a precedence you know for being loyal for being courageous you know i think there's one line where one of i think it's uh uh deke who says like you know you're you're looking for one of your your people like one of your Mm -hmm. teammates at least you're loyal yeah i I like this episode because even though it was a bit of a it felt like a bit of a filler it, it was a bit of a catch up for us to understand where Hunter and Wrecker are in their journey to find Omega and sort of struggling too, right? Like I just love the shot where Hunter's like trying to make sense of this technology, like an old guy. And he's like, Jesus, like what is going on? And then you see Tex goggles and then he looks over and then he Mm. sees like Lula and he's like, he's, he's missing the part of his team that would be able to facilitate and do these things better than he can. Like, it's just a reminder for him that, you know, what he's fighting for. Um, I think the my favorite moment watching this episode actually had nothing to do with what I was seeing on screen, but rather the experience I had with who I was watching it with, uh, which it was actually uh, Megan. Uh, we watched it together, and my favorite thing is just the slither vines show up, and all I hear is, ew, <laughs> ew, 
ew, excuse me? Like it stands up when it does sort of like the alien critter run around and she's like, she's just like, excuse me? All the little like baby ones that popped (laughs) out. It, it was, was fantastic. So weird. <laughs> that whole sequence, though, was fantastic. It was like a horror movie. Yeah, we talked yes. about it at, at the top of of the first episode. How it was like a monster movie esque, like you know they're <laughs> crashing in you know Skull Island sort of mentality, right? Mm-hmm. But you know here it's it's like you know they're roaming through a, a dead ship, and you know or a dead base, and you know there's just these vines that are slithering around, and then these little baby ones start launching, and uh, yeah. the best is when like Hunter turns. And then one of the baby ones just come lunging at it and you just see oh. like the teeth open. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, a face hugger at that point. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah. It's, it's just, again, it was like, yes, very horror movie-esque, very reminiscent of like aliens. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really great that they have fun as as a, as a team, the, the team behind these these episodes to kind of shift tone like that. They're like, okay, let's get into horror mode here and let's, let's you know, get people feeling uncomfortable. It, it really does pay off. It worked. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, was there anything else about this episode two that you wanted to highlight before we get into our our third and final episode for this watch club? Uh, I mean, gotta shout out Gronky to the oh yes to the rescue. He come Gonky Gonky Gronky. Well, I so, call him so, Gronky. So yeah. So for the, if you listen, if you go back, if our watch club listeners of this series will know that I always called him Gronky and. <laughs> And joints would get so upset every single time. He's like, it's gonky. It's it's gonky. Just say it right. It's gonky. And I'd be like, it's gronky. But you're right. It is gronky. It is, uh, it is oh, I almost gonky. said it again. We've now, it we've now, we've now, we now call Nate gronky when he's like angry and like tired and like yeah, and you, in yeah. a and mood. Oh, Justin someone's has gronky. to pick me up and yeah, he's got to yeah. carry me whenever Upside I don't feel like walking. Also. Yeah. Upside down <laughs> No, good, good shout out for sure. For sure. Um, okay, let's get into episode three. I think the one that I am most excited to dive into and chat about. Uh, and this is called Shadows of Tantis, directed by Stuart Lee. Um, our third episode of season three takes us back to Tantis as we peel back the layers and go deeper into the mystery surrounding Hemlock's plan. Nalase urges Omega to escape as Tantis has a very important visitor arriving to check up on something called Project Necromancer. Omega improvises a plan with Crosshair to escape, which is nice, but it it happens to be the same night that the Emperor is there. Luckily, they manage to escape through the Lurka Kennels uh, and then off-planet using Plan 72, uh, and they even manage to accidentally adopt a new friend. Uh, Unfortunately for Nalase, however, her protection of Omega is noticed by Hemlock, uh, and she's locked away for questioning. Just as Omega uh, and Crosshair are about to be shot down, Emery discovers and explains to Hemlock that Omega's samples supported a positive M-count transfer with no degradation. He immediately calls off his troops uh, and Crosshair and Omega jump to light speed. A minor setback as Hemlock now has the full resources of the Empire at his disposal. Uh, And I love that he literally just says it. He's like, well, it doesn't matter. I've got the full resources of the Empire at my disposal. So obviously I want to talk about Project Necromancer. I want to talk about (laughs) the vault. Uh, But before we do, let's just talk about the arrival of the Emperor in this episode. I love um, you know, again, when we when we're talking 
talking about sort of the the callbacks, I always love a good audio callback, a good music callback. And so hearing what the Kiners did to match John Williams, the Emperor theme, uh, was phenomenal. The choir in the background coming through, it just sets such a phenomenal presence for this this larger-than-life villain. And, and you know when you hear that music, it's like, oh, man, everyone yeah. in the room is intimidated right now. Mm-hmm. I literally wrote out, he who must not be named. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very much so. Absolutely. Yeah, it felt very classic to uh, his arrival to the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. The The highlight for me, outside of obviously the little hints of what we're going to talk about later, is is seeing Crosshair and, and Omega together. That was like the highlight of this episode. I think it was Meg that you were saying, like they've, they've always kind of been at, at odds ends. Like they've always yeah. been kind of like, you know, kind of snippy at each other. Even still, as much as Crosshair tries to resist Omega's optimism, he, he kind of gets swelled up in it and, and goes with it. And it, it actually presents itself as a really great situation for them to get out. And the whole switcheroo situation of they execute Plan 72, which is basically to get everyone out of their ship and then they can go in and take their <laughs> ship. Yeah. And it, I thought it was yeah. so smart. I was like, that's that's awesome. And just to see how, you know, like she goes up the elevator to like go in and go to the cockpit. She puts it in autopilot, comes back down while he's running to the elevator to go back up and she's just shooting. It's like you so can totally <laughs> see she's she's not a kid anymore. She's like fully she's in it. Right. She's a she's a fighter. Right. So I, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, not only is she like kicking mouse droids in the face. Uh, <laughs> so funny. I love that, yeah. <laughs> um, but the fact that she, yeah, she is such a badass. And I think we say we said this in se- season two as well uh, around, you know, the opener there where, where yeah, she is like, she, you can, she's got... She's got all the skills from her Bad Batch brothers, but I love that, you know, she's laying down cover fire in this yeah. moment. Like, she's jumping out in front of fire, uh, you know, action, like the action. And the fact that Crosshair is, like, totally okay with it, just again, he's like, no, she's got this. She's got a, you know, trial by fire. Like, she's going to be well, fine. He doesn't- she knows what she's, you know. Maybe she he, he he sort of imagines what she's capable of. But I just think, like, she takes a knee and just starts blasting away. Dude. Uh, <laughs> is so cool. But I think the other aspect about it that I love is she still takes time to say, you know, to tell Batcher, like, stay close. Like, she's still Omega at the end of it all. Like, as much Empathetic. as she's, like, a badass, yeah, yeah, she's like, but also save the dog. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> And that's yeah. and that's that was what was so clutch about it, too, is that, again, she's still taking time to allow for her empathy and compassion to cross here. Like he said, he would, he would leave without her if there was an opportunity, right? Maybe he's just saying that to be hurtful, but I think he was. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But you know, again, I I could see someone like crosshair making a sacrifice. If it meant leaving Batcher there, he would have done that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think he would have left Batcher. I don't think he would have left Omega though. (laughs) For sure. I I get that. But like he might, he might've, I don't know. But I think he also in this moment realizes that she's not just a kid. She's, Mm -hmm. she's, she can fully hold her own. You know, even when he gets out of the cell, he throws her a blaster, right? It's like, you know, well, who else is going to be my cover fire? <laughs> and it's just yeah. like, when he's like, oh, the emperor's here. The emperor is here. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> so good. Like, you, could you Maybe pick an even worse day? day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it was pretty, like, there's, again, it was there's to see them finally have their relationship kind of flourish a little bit more and kind of take front, front stage. Because I think in season one, like, even from the interactions they had, it, it was really... Like there was a wall there, right? There was a wall mm-hmm. there that Crosshair would put up that that Omega couldn't necessarily get over, and it seems like now she has. She's kind of t- 
torn that wall down and there's a sense of vulnerability and care and it's it's cool it's cool to see yeah even when they escape um like the dog kennel thing when they slide out the end um and crosshair's like okay where's this ship and omega's like i don't know and he's he gets a little bit frustrated with her for a second but then it works out that obviously the emperor's leaving and he's like rather than tearing omega apart for being a kid and being an idiot he figures out an answer and goes okay no let's go and follow the flight path so there's less of that like you were saying the accusations he's not frustrated with omega he's just going okay well i guess my partner in crime right now is a kid and <laughs> she can hold her own i guess so we're gonna just go with it um and then i also love batcher's the one who jumps in when omega's about to get hurt mm-hmm. um that again is showing her connections are meaningful and the people and the animals that she saves are grateful for her compassion and her empathy. So it it comes back. Karma loves Omega. <laughs> yeah, and I love the little hello she gives the stormtrooper as he's approaching her before hello. you can think it. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Good. So yeah. good. I I I think to to the sentiment of what we were talking about, where Crosshair gets a little frustrated um, when she doesn't know where the ship is. I think it's really great when she realizes the plan failed. Like she can't, she, they can't get this ship up and running. And she, she's like, I'm sorry. I, I thought this would work. And mm-hmm. he says, we're not done yet. Right. Yeah. And you got us this far. Yeah. And I'm like, to me, that was a massive awakening. I was like, look at Crosshair being nice and polite <laughs> and complimenting her and not being like, oh, you're just a stupid kid. It shows that he is very much changing. Yeah. Uh, he's, his, his whole outlook is changing a lot. So. And he's realizing that he's been wrong this whole time. Like the season one and season two, watching him go through what he went through and knowing that it wasn't the chip, it was his own free will deciding to follow the Empire. He's now come to terms with the fact that that was the dumbest thing he could have done. And he has some making up to do. So it's it's nice to see this side of Crosshair who's supportive and understanding. And he's also a little wounded, so we're going to see some tentativeness. But um, yeah, it's it's a good direction they're taking Crosshair. I really like it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think again, the biggest detriment to Crosshair's character is loyalty. Um, he, like, he has such an immense amount of it, which is why he looked at his brothers as being disloyal to the Empire, and which is why he w- remained loyal. Obviously, given the events of what happens in season two, w- and we see him start to realize that that loyalty doesn't go both ways. He's mm-hmm. very loyal to an Empire that is not loyal to him, and he starts to recognize what he lost. And I think this whole experience in Tantus for him has been that awakening of, of sort of he even says it in this episode, if I'm not, or maybe in episode one, actually, he says, just leave me here. This mm-hmm. is where I need to be. It's almost yeah. as if he thinks that he deserves this, this punishment, this pain, this torture, if you will. We don't know what the, the extent is of it, but we know that they're doing experiments on him. Mm-hmm. So he, he thinks he deserves everything he did because of what he did. And I not, not to the empire, but to his brothers. And I think that's, that's sort of why he's, he's remained there for as long as he has. So there's, parts that you see that really do show sort of a broken and fractured crosshair that is trying to rebuild himself. 
Um, kind of shifting gears here a little bit, I want to talk about Dr. Hemlock. Uh, we kind of get a little bit behind his sort of true intentions, right? We kind of didn't really know why, you know, obviously... I'm evil, loyal to the Empire, I'm a bad guy. Sure, that's a good blanket sort of, you know, vague way to describe a character like Hemlock. But we kind of get a little bit more and that it's he just wants a promotion. You know what I mean? He wants to be <laughs> scientific minister for the entirety of the Empire. Uh, and I love uh, Ian McDiarmid, like, in due time. Like, also, shout out to Ian McDiarmid for still pulling off imperative. Like, he just is... <laughs> Killing it. But, I, you know, I think the, the thing that I'm, I'm wondering about with Hemlock's true intention to become scientific minister for the entirety of the Empire, I'm like, at the end of the day, what does that do for him? Like, is that more vacation time? Does he get paid better? Like, what is it? What, is it just the satisfaction of pure evil? Like, I really want to know. It's a title. Yeah. It's a title. It's a and title. See, okay. Power. Yeah, and you would yeah, it's power, exactly. Okay. You know, Influence. Yeah. yeah. And he would be able to basically dictate how the science would would focus on specific elements, right? Right. So mm -hmm. he's clearly passionate about cloning. Um so, <laughs> like, like does he get like he, is he just like really into it? He's like, Oh, this was a great day we had, honey. Like comes back from work, he's like, Yeah, we got some really great M count well, stuff going on. Like I, Well, I, I don't, don't know. There's married. a backstory. Like, where does he come from? Mm -hmm. What did the Empire or the clones do to him? Or, you know, where yeah. It's yeah. it's a backstory that I'm we intrigued. don't know a lot of. Sure. I think the the other thing that I'm kinda thinking of as you guys are sort of explaining it, it's like it's a corrupt empire. They're going to condition the people that work for them to think that that they're that the goals that the ultimate power wants, what the emperor wants, is what these little minions want, right? So mm -hmm. the the more and more that you know he's been working for this corp corporation, if you will, uh, he kind of just thinks, well, that's the end all be all. Like that's got to be the thing that I need. I need that power. His motivation and his intent seems very similar to that of like. Orson Krennic, uh, Krennic yeah. yeah, from from Rogue One, where it was mm -hmm. just it was a sense of status um, and power and look at me, I'm that, the most beautiful girl in the room, kind of exactly. thing, right? <laughs> and I think, yeah, and I, and I think that that goes without saying that that's very much what the Empire is. It's filled with a bunch of people that are really self serving, and mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. you know, they want they want their power and their status. So interesting. It, it makes sense that he's yearning for something like that. Yeah. Um, are we talking about Necromancer or what? Let's get into it. So, you know, normally at the end of a uh, an episode of a Watch Club episode for the, the Bad Batch, uh, we like to do our prediction segment, What's Gonna Happen, Batch, uh, which is one of my more creative ones. Um, but um, I, I think because, again, we've sort of, we've seen a little bit into the future. Obviously, we're not going to predict anything that we, or, or theorize on anything that we have, you know, sort of gotten to know. Um, this is sort of the bigger picture here. Um, so I actually want to dive into what is Project Necromancer. And I actually want uh, to actually hear from Megan first, uh, if you have any ideas. Okay, well, I mean, if we break down what Necromancer would be, mm -hmm. the act of necromancy is bringing back the dead. Yeah. So reanimating a dead body, essentially, is necromancy. And uh, that has a lot of weight to it <laughs> in the form of cloning and who you could possibly clone that might be dead. Um, I, I, I mean, we've seen a couple faces in the trailer. I'm not going to mention anybody just in case you haven't seen it yet. Mm -hmm. But 
there are some characters that were shown in that trailer, one specifically, who is known to be dead. So mm-hmm. that is, I think, where this is, is going. Leading. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I think I definitely had that thought as well. Um, you know, it is interesting, though, because Project Necromancer, uh, according to StarWars.Fandom.com, uh, is something we've seen before. We actually have heard the term Project Necromancer. Yeah, and I remember watching it. Yeah. It and Megan, I turned yeah. to you and I was like... I'm shocked. <laughs> I was like, I was like, we've heard of Necromancer before, but I couldn't piece it together. And you're right, Justin. It is, uh, it's an operation in effect during the time of the New Republic. So this is far into the future. Captain Gilead uh, Palion, Palion uh, spoke of the project in a meeting with the Shadow Council with Commandant Brendal Hux, uh, who's Hux's dad uh in the project that he was uh that they were working on and they discussed that it it's it's to aim to introduce new leadership to imperial remnants so i feel like we kind of have a really good sense of what is going on where it's going but the interesting thing i think what's more interesting to me is not so much that it it kind of we sort of all are tiptoeing around what we actually think it is (laughs) i think what's more interesting is that they haven't pulled it off by the time of the mandalorian the fact that they're saying it's going to be implemented i'm like yo so hemlock's like Probably not going to get the job done. <laughs> like he might, he might not get that promotion no, after. But all. he's. But again, it's the science that's that's important, right? Like, right. I think again, it's start somewhere. In, yeah, and I, I, I was pretty direct in in my interview with Jennifer and Brad, where I said like, it feels like everything that's happening on Tantus is is literally pointing to somehow Palpatine returned, right? Yeah. And it, it's giving justification to that, and we've seen elements of cloning reference throughout. Absolutely, the Mandalorian. It was all littered in there. Uh, it was what episode four or five in in season two, where we we end up at the facility where Grogu was, mm-hmm. and we discover these like Snoke like bodies, and we realize that that there's some sort of form of cloning, and that's that's not based on anything they told us. That's just the fact that we as fans put all of that together. You know, like you said, we were introduced to it in the Mandalorian. That's after the Empire. That's after you know the the battle of endor but here we're hearing about it again at the beginning of the empire it does really showcase how this science has been worked on for many many years and i don't even think like i i think at at a certain point they probably get it right but nobody knows that they actually got it right oh. uh you know so that that's that's the thing so the one thing i did say in the interview and i think it's totally true is that everything that we're hinting at here and that that we we know that this is about cloning people that are dead and you can even connect it back to obi-wan when they were on the inquisitor's ship and they found all those jedis that were sort of like in that ember like that jurassic park ember and then they were like frozen so like they had kept all of those bodies (laughs) of jedis that they could literally pull from and bring back to life so you have to wonder how does that come into play even the fact that we saw it like they were keeping it as like their 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 treasure if you will right like their their bounties if you will but in the the grand scheme of things it's probably going to feed into this project necromancer at some point right so it's all for a greater purpose <laughs> yeah and it's all it's all been there it's it's all great that they're kind of like seed planting all of these little elements wow. to show you like it's it's been there you just we just there, there was no focus on it now there is like i was saying in the interview though they're not going to be able to give us everything i think this is as much as as what this this series is really going to give us is probably a confirmation that they are working on you know cloning 
back the dead and that is going to obviously be of interest to the emperor in case of like as, as a safeguard but i think the most important thing about what we hope we get away from this this season is what's so integral about omega and why is it her dna that is the one that seems to be the one that makes this all work that you know there's no degradation of of m count you know that's that's a key element that they keep saying every time they're cloning they're losing the m count and we all know what the m count is right it's it's the metachlorians it's the it's the force sensitivity in them so what is it about omega's blood that is so different that the m counted there's no degradation there's there, there's it's flawless it's it's a perfect clone from m count to m count that to me is the real question from this series other than project necromancer because we know it exists in the in the shadows right but she doesn't want to be an experiment in a tube (laughs) no (laughs) um i I think i think it's i think it's her what we've been talking about it's her optimism it's her hope uh that keeps that m count pure and and maybe that has something to do with her blood and and sort of is she force sensitive though is she a clone of a jedi right because that's like and the the thing is that's interesting right like (gasps) is she she obi-wan's clone Right? Did did they get like a piece of hair off of him when they were when he visited the facility, and that's where? No, but she isn't. She's absolutely a clone no. of, of because she's a bad batch clone. <laughs> yeah, but well, yeah, also, but but, her, but she's a girl. Yeah, that's true. Girls are different. Here's the thing, and I j- this is just hypothesizing. It's just like shooting shit. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they made they took Django, they cloned him. And they just kept cloning him. When they probably decided to change the sex of the clone, could that have affected the M count? Could that have suddenly hmm. pushed this per, this 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 DNA into the sense of force sensitivity DNA? Like, did they just birth a Jedi? Well, and I wonder though if if in their experimentation of trying to get a female clone, she's the only blonde one. Because even the the other female clones that they've yeah, been successful Emery. with, like Emery, and there's multiple that walk around Tantus, mm-hmm. they all have brown hair. Interesting. So I wonder if when they were doing experimentation, maybe Omega's the first one and they let her age regular compared to everybody else. Where they had the age up. Yeah. Was, yeah, did they do like uh, an egg and a sperm kind of deal with is I don't know like maybe they were like oh the only way to get a female is if we actually do proper birth hmm. sequencing or something right that's and that's that's what I'm saying though right as soon as they because that in itself isn't a scientific act of cloning that's mm. just breeding yeah did that unlock that m count and that force sensitivity that she just never spoke about like she didn't yeah. want anyone to know about not not say want didn't want, didn't want anyone to know she needs to fess up i want to hear some responses from her immediately about <laughs> what's going on with omega cuz that to me that's that is what this series really needs to answer above all else is what is the deal with omega cuz she's clearly more than just a direct clone of yeah. boba fett and jango like there's something up with her we need to know that's the answer that i'm looking forward to hopefully getting this season 
It's all really interesting. It makes the last two things that I wanted to mention uh, not as <laughs> amazing, <laughs> uh, but I do want to just mention because Justin, you'd pointed out the the Jedi held in in amber in in Obi Wan. Um, really interesting because again, that does line up with the timeline. And Nala say in Episode One, um, Omega says like. Well, are they testing the clones? And it was a bit confusing because they do show clones' faces coming up on the monitors behind Nalise, but she says, no, but no yeah. not the clones. And so yeah. it's like, oh, then who, but who else could it be, that's, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's that's the thing. They're cross-referencing their blood of the subjects that they have to the clones mm-hmm. to see who, who will generate a non-degraded M count. Yeah. Right? And that's that's what was cool. Even even again coming back to my the reference of how time is depicted, how time is showed through those little vials moving through. Mm. Like in episode 3, it's it's really interesting how it's ticking through and it, it's sort of the driver of tension like, "Oh, they're they're close. They're close to getting her DNA and finding out that she's she's the key." Cuz you knew she's going to be the key, right? Yeah. Like you knew like obviously the way that Nalase is hiding everything and and whatnot. She's she's obviously going to be the one that fixes it. Right. So I think the the last thing that I want I wanted to mention, then if you guys have anything else you want to drop before we we end here um, is I watching literally just before we started recording. I watched the third episode uh, one more time. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the containment unit that the emperor and Hemlock are standing in front of, it is identical to the ones that the Snoke clones are in on Exegol. So I literally brought up I brought up the picture on my phone and I looked at it and I'm like, it's I mean, I'm pretty sure it's the exact same unit. Now, I don't necessarily I'm not to say that that is absolutely Snoke in there or what have you. But but the fact that it's like, yeah, that's the technology that we get all the way that's into Exegol uh, into the Rise of Skywalker. I just think that's so cool that they're paying attention to obviously to those details. They're they're masters at doing this sort of stuff. But but again, it's just it's so rewarding as a fan to (coughs) to get, you know, the Dave Filoni and Brad Rao and Jennifer Corbett sort of team up to come in and sort of say you know with everyone being upset about how you know somehow Palpatine returned and, and then it's the hold my beer and they they manage to just you know take it away and, and give us a, a wonderful explanation that hopefully won't make us as mad at that line in the future well and you know what it's them it's like what Dave Filoni did with Clone Wars for the first uh, trilogy I, I should say the prequel trilogy mm-hmm. He saved the prequel trilogy by giving us the Clone Wars animated series. Yeah. He's saving <laughs> the sequel those trilogy. Sequel trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> with the Bad Batch and showing us things that are explaining and that's a really fun part of the animation and why I think people now that we've got it in a little bit more of an adult, you know, vision, we can see things in a more mature setting. I would hope this brings more people to the animated side of Star Wars. Yeah, I, I think I, the, the fandom for, for this series alone has been huge, right? Uh, I think it's when you start looking at the other stuff that's already come before, where you could probably teeter between being the right amount of childish and the right amount of mature. There's just a, a mixed balance. The tonal shift isn't always there. But here, it feels like it is full-fledged mature it's definitely meant to be a little bit more lighthearted in terms of its familial you know elements but i think again it takes itself seriously and rightfully so because as you've you know been saying it's about using the medium as a mode of storytelling and not just as as a genre for a specific audience and i think that that's so crucial to to how lucasfilm has always looked at at 
at animation, right? Like they've looked at the audience, but they've understood the importance that it has to the to the to the larger story. Anything else before we wrap? Uh, batches you guys were pretty satisfied uh, with this conversation I know I am I'm excited uh, to talk about uh, the next few the next batch uh, of episodes but that is it for this week's watch club for Star Wars the Bad Batch season three we hope you enjoyed it and if you did make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts if you haven't already and if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or your predictions on the shows we cover in this watch club uh, well you don't have to uh, have an injured lurk a hound uh, while, you know, running around with a super high M count. Uh, instead, <laughs> Justin, can you let the beautiful batches know how they can reach us by hollow message? Well, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or they can reach out to us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at geekcentricyt, or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. Uh, we also have opened up uh, a channel in our Discord uh, for this show, for this Watch Club. You can chat with us about Bad Batch Season 3. We also opened up one recently for Avatar, uh, The Last Airbender, and you can check that out um, just in our Discord by using the link in our description. Uh, keep in mind, we also have a ton of other great episodes covering the latest in movies, TV shows, uh, including our recent spoiler-free reviews for both this series uh, as well as uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender, um, which you can definitely check out. Um, we also have some great interviews, like our most recent interview with Daniel Day Kim and Paul Sun Hyung Lee from Avatar The Last Airbender. You can check that out over at youtube.com slash geekcentric. But, you know, we also got some pretty good Bad Batch stuff there as well. We interviewed uh, Brad Rao, uh, who is the... Um, who is the supervising director and executive producer on the show, as well as executive producer and head writer Jennifer Corbett. Justin sat down with them yet again uh, this season to chat with them. Uh, and then Megan and I, or should I say um, myself and Megan, uh, had the opportunity to talk to Michelle Ang, uh, the voice of Omega, uh, which was awesome. We even asked her what her clone nickname would be. She did not disappoint. Uh, so definitely go check out those interviews. Uh, again, subscribe, leave a review. It helps so much. Uh, and we're going to have more Watch Club coming real soon. Uh, we have to wait until episode seven to release our next episode, but it will cover episodes four to seven. Uh, so chat with us in the Discord until then about those episodes. And then when episode eight drops, we'll be back to our weekly format uh, with a with uh, joints joining us uh, yet again. Megan, Justin, thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we love to say uh, in our Bad Batch Watch Club, Good, good soldiers, soldiers, follow orders. orders.